0: and you're consciously overriding your own central nervous system that requires massive amounts of determination <laughs> saying before i drew my bow back i said i'm shooting this shot perfectly or i'm not shooting it at all <laughs> pre-ignition movements at that distance with a longbow you're not going to hit what do yeah. you think you're going to mm-hmm. hit so right right and it said here i go why do we say here i go because that's the phrase that people use to jump off a cliff
1: to be able to actually kill an animal and using that that fast after mm-hmm. I took the class, it just it just was it ingrained in me at that point. I was like, yeah, this definitely works. And how's it going, John? Good morning. How are you? Doing great. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Life's good. Life has been great. Busy. Um, well, as we always say, we're always busy, right? That's true. Everybody's busy.
2: Yeah. Just gearing up for fall hunts. Yeah. Shooting more. Yes. Speaking of which. <laughs> Super special guest today. Absolutely. Joel Turner from mm-hmm. Washington. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't even like to say I'm from Washington anymore, though. <laughs> <'Cause> Monta- <laughs> soon to be Montana. Yeah. yeah, just... That's right. Let's just say we're from Montana. Okay. Though. It just has a better ring to it.
2: That's and, awesome. you know, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you oh, driving the extra oh, yeah. time over here, yeah. out of your way. No and, problem. Uh, he was joel a couple hours extra out of his way to get here and yeah he's doing a clinic yesterday and yeah so anyway thank you very much joel yeah for you coming bet. joel and i t- or uh, john and i took joel's class uh, his clinic uh, a couple of years ago mm-hmm. it's been now we were trying to figure out and we went by how old Bodie was yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, uh i know you know I, I had struggled with target panic like john had as well mm-hmm. and um, I pretty much have my under control, but I. No matter how long you've been in shooting, you can never not learn enough. Right. You just got to keep an open mind, and I know for John, it's helped him a lot.
1: Too. Oh yeah, big time. I mean, when I took the class, it was like um, I I had never been formally trained at all. I was uh-huh. shot for years, but uh, it just made such a huge difference, and uh, to this day, it still does.
0: Yeah, it's just it changes how you think about shooting. Yeah. Right? Yes. So you. And even if you, you know, if you've got it almost under control, yeah, that means that there's still a bit of a mystery, yeah, right? Like you don't really know how your shot's going to go. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to get. You know, when we did it a couple of years ago, it's, I'm constantly growing in this instructor thing and just trying to figure out the fail points. And that biggest fail point is people treat their shot, as still a mystery, right? Like... They get all hooked up in the bow and they don't really know how it's gonna go. Like if they're having a problem, maybe they're locked off the target or they're punching the trigger just a little bit or whatever, they wonder, "Is how am I gonna do on this one? And if you have that slight bit of wonder in your <coughs> shot, then you've, you've already handed that shot to autopilot. So it's really demystifying this shot and Getting it down to some very specific steps, exactly, and and knowing what's coming next. It's very powerful to know what's coming next, especially yeah. in those high stress shooting events where, you know, maybe you've got that big pronghorn buck in front of you or whatever, and you know exactly how the shot's going to go. Mm-hmm. You've controlled everything you possibly can, and that's uh, that's where we're at now with it. Really demystifying this stuff and figuring out, mapping out the decisions that need to be made. So. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful stuff. Yeah. I, I'm not trying to sell it. I'm just saying it's, it is very powerful. It's been very powerful in my life to figure out and how I'm going to do it. Yeah, and Bodie's, you're right? I mean, when you watch Bodie shoot, there's no question. And on, for those of how you who know, Bodie
2: him. is uh, Joel's son. And at the ripe old age, <laughs> 14 one day, and actually right. turned 15 during the, the Worlds the right. in Vegas, mm-hmm. he stepped up to shoot with the pros. Mm-hmm. And could have stayed in the youth, sure, yeah, and smoked that, yeah. But he stepped up with all the big names, all the pros, uh-huh. and and I, I know I've told Joel this. You know, I was I was actually watching the shoot off, uh, uh, live streaming it on mm-hmm. TV here, and and even though I didn't know Bodie, you know, we don't know him that well, but uh-huh. I have met him, been around him, sure. It just just as a father, I guess, too. I I got teared up, yeah. And hanging alive it's just tough yeah, not was... to. <laughs> He just ah oh, just amazing yeah, me. Yeah,
0: just watching it, you know, just watching his demeanor. I I can really tell his like where his mind's at by his by his shot. Like you'll see the follow through is just slightly different on one that he didn't like as much. And the only thing he doesn't like about it is maybe where the shot broke. Ah. And but we've got the setup and we've been doing so much work on stabilization and bows that we've got it to the point now where you keep your sight movement so fast that you cannot comprehend it. Meaning it moves. It's, it's slightly jittery. It's not just parked in the middle. Okay. Because if it parks in the middle, that means that it's actually moving too slow. Oh, right. So if, and there's some tests that we do, like if you take a Vegas face and you aim at that Vegas face with that yellow center and with a, With a pretty small black dot like a dot that's no bigger than the 10 ring right and of course you're shooting magnification usually Mm -hmm. on the compound setup so you get that pin moving fast enough to where if it looks like it breaks in the nine it's still a 10. so if you if you break a shot and it it breaks and you're like ooh, that's going to be a high right nine and it is a high right nine your bow is too heavy because you've slowed the rate of return down so much Hmm. that it can't get back into the middle. You're talking, when you're saying too heavy, you're talking about Mass weight. Mass weight. Right, mass weight on the bow, because people are really weighting their bows up and they're actually fighting their own mind with it. They're fighting their Uh own visual proprioception because that pin's just floating real slow and and as soon as they can comprehend that it's not in the 10, they stop their release movement. Right. Gotcha. So it's a very interesting thing, and it's getting to the point where stabilizers are more for feel than they are accuracy. Huh. Hmm. So I mean, I've been having in my clinics, I've been having people completely strip their bow of their stabilizers, and shoot, and they're not less accurate. Really. Right. It's more of a, more of a visual acceptance. Than- I know. I you see some guys who
2: are shooting nothing against them at all they shoot what they want but like back bars and stuff on their hunting sure and i mean of course i'm thinking that's that much more weight you gotta
0: pack right. around. And but Bodie does that and it drives me it drives me <laughs> insane. But you can't argue with his accuracy. No. Right? So can't. I'm just like but he's never been on a real big mountain hunt with that bow either. I'm hmm. like, you're gonna pack that thing up the mountain. <laughs> i here you packing. are with your stick bow. <laughs> right, here I am with my one and a half pound right. longbow. <laughs> so uh, but it's very interesting to see and to kind of shift this whole regime of heavy bows and, and, and lots of weight on your stable. Just get that pin moving faster. And it when you the faster you get your pin moving, the easier it is to let it go, right? Just to step away from it. Because it's it's as good as it's gonna get anyways. Right. And getting people to that point where they can just put the pin on and then just step away from it. Because there's way more important stuff yeah. than than aiming, right? So and honestly,
1: not to cut you off, but you taught that in a class that I took, mm-hmm. and that made that was one of the things that you know you stop. I think you talked about not really paying attention to your pen, you know, mm-hmm. and focusing on the release mm-hmm. and stuff. And and I had never made that connection before. Like, oh, my gosh, that makes so much more yeah, sense. Yeah, it's
0: just, you know, when you really look at it, you don't have control over it anyway. Right. put that pin in the middle and enjoy the show. Yeah. Because right? you yeah. don't have control of it. And, and you want to make the show acceptable, right? It shouldn't be... You know moving all over the place yeah. right but everybody's born with a certain level of visual proprioception you might be steadier than me it there's nothing I can do about that I can put gotcha. as much stabilization on my bow as I want, but if I slow it down to that point of you're fighting it mm-hmm. then you've just degraded your accuracy with it yeah and you've degraded how you think in a mm-hmm. shot so
2: now most like this stuff that you're talking about um, aiming mm-hmm. uh it's almost it can just roll over into scopes too, as well Absolutely. as far as, as far as that. So cause right. we do have some, you know, a lot of viewers that aren't necessarily archery hunters, but they're gun hunters. And I've like I was kind of you and I were talking about. Mm. I told you at the crosshair thing. How once it's on there, you just
0: yeah. It's a bit different it. with rifles. Like I've just I just filmed my online rifle course at Shot yeah. IQ, and uh, we do a lot of aiming stuff in that. Whereas it's different when you deal with a magnified optic because it's, they're on the same focal plane. Oh. The spot you want to hit and the reticle are on the same focal plane now. So they're both in, they're both in focus. So what do we look at, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in archery, they're not on the same focal plane. Gotcha. So right. in rifles, you want to focus on the spot you want to hit. Okay, because it's going to be in focus. And if you focus on the spot you want to hit, then the reticle always has something to attach to. Now in rifles, because your body's not in tension, you should be able to call your shot, Mm -hmm. right? You're just watching it dance, enjoying the show, talking yourself through that trigger press. And when that rifle breaks, you should be able to call your shot. You should not be able to call your shot in archery. Mm -hmm. You should not be able to call it because the the pin is moving faster, right? Gotcha. So in rifles, you get, you know, if you're shooting a heavy rifle, the more steady the rifle is. That's cool. But it doesn't it's not so attached to accuracy as we think, right? It's going to blow people's minds. Like, what if, (laughs) you know, because I mean, I can stand, standing unsupported. And I do that drill a lot, especially in the online course, we talk about how to actually stand and shoot because it's not like Olympic shooting. You're not wearing a shooting jacket Mm -hmm. and all those things. You're out in the field and there's different methods of actually raising your arms and setting the rifle in somewhat of a cradle to get the left and right movement out of it, because you have forces coming from each side of the rifle. So it's pretty interesting stuff. But, you know, shooting targets out there at 250 yards, at maybe an 8-inch plate, standing unsupported, if you go open loop on the trigger, like if you try to catch it, because there's this thing in, in the military especially of a sideways figure-eight movement. I've never seen a sideways figure-eight movement in a sight. But they talk about how you start pressing the trigger as it's coming in mm. and you catch it, right? You're supposed to get through the trigger right Punch. when it gets to the apex of that. That's going to be open loop on the trigger. But right. that's been taught for literally centuries, huh. right? And it still is in, hmm. it's in firearms instruction today.
2: If you don't mind, I, I just wanted I wanted you to give just a little bit of your background. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know we got right into talking yeah, about right. shooting, oh, yeah. but, <laughs> but just so people <laughs> understand Diane. that... that I just didn't swing by and pick you up sure. downtown and say, hey, Joe, we want to
0: come talk about this? Right. So uh, in, the, in the firearms world, I pressed the trigger on a 30-30 for the first time at five years old. Huh. And the second time I pressed the trigger on that 30-30, I guarantee I about yarded it off the rifle. Right? <laughs> so it's funny because you get one chance. Yep. You get one chance in life to shoot a perfect shot. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as your body feels the recoil, it instantly formulates motor programs around it. And that was me at five years old. So at five, I shot my dad's thirty thirty, And, oh, I thought I was such a man at that time, right? <laughs> but I remember the second shot was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> the first one was good, but the second one was an absolute nightmare. So then I progressed. BB guns were my thing, yeah. right, growing up. BB guns, BB guns. My, we all got, I have two older brothers and we all got a BB gun when we were nine. When we turned nine, that was our BB gun year, right? And of course, my oldest brother was, he's three years older than me, and I wore his BB gun out, right? He never shot it. Right? I shot it every day, and I literally broke it. I shot it so much, I broke it. Well, then my other brother's a year older than me, and I broke his BB gun, too. So when I turned nine, I got a Daisy 880 power line. This was big, big time, yeah. right? Uh, pump pneumatics, so I yeah. pumped yep. that bad boy ten times, man, i tell you what I was a machine with that because there was no recoil,
2: yeah,
0: so but you put me on a center fire rifle at those young ages. Oh, I was worthless, oh. worthless, oh my gosh, even almost to the point of a twenty two and then I was able to control myself with that, so life progressed uh, through high school and stuff, massive target panic in archery, loved shooting. I shot a bow since I was seven years old, and uh, just. A nightmare, locked off target, a long ways off target. I mean, we're talking feet off target. I would jump to the target, and then I would figure out gravity, so I'd go around the target, <laughs> and I'd drop my bow into it, but I could never get close, right? And so, tried by it. But bow hunting started at uh, bow hunting started at 14, and missing bull after bull. I had some opportunities in Washington to really hunt some good spots, and man, just missing. And it was just very frustrating in those early years. And then into adulthood. Uh, Did you ever accidentally shoot one? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I killed some stuff, but yeah. not, not very much. I killed my first deer with a bow at 15. I remember I shot that deer at 15 yards. Ah. And I can remember uh, Martin Lynx Magnum bow, oh, yeah. <laughs> 22-16 autumn oranges, yeah. four-fletch. 4-inch Marco veins, Thunderhead 125, oh, wow. and I That's snuck awesome. up on this big black doe, and she stood there at 15 yards, and I can remember aiming several feet over her back at 15 yards shooting bare bow because I couldn't put a pin on the target anyways, really? so you might as well take your sights <laughs> off your bow, right? So I'd take my sights off my bow just to shoot bare bow to be cool like Ted Nugent at the time, and, and uh, so I remember drawing back and just being way over her back, and I just... I just dropped my bow and shoot. And I ended up shooting her in the spine. I got my first year. So, uh, and then went to college and was a goose hunting guide in college. And shotgunning was, was good. In right? Washington? Yeah, in Washington. Shotgunning was good for me. And, but centerfire rifles were not. I just could not, I could not concentrate on the trigger press. I was always, you know, usually infatuated with the aim and all that stuff. So uh, through college, I got in with USDA Wildlife Services and then got out of college and started working for USDA, which was all air rifle work, oh. uh, animal damage control, starlings, pigeons, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was damn good with an air rifle. Huh. I even wrote a, wrote a manual for the USDA nice. on how to shoot these oh, wow. air rifles, right? Shotgunning, awesome. But then you put me on a coyote contract. <laughs> I was not your guy. <laughs> and it frustrated the heck out of me because I could shoot. I, at this point with rifles, now I'm starting to gain some control. I could shoot rifles on a target, but it was not your guy for coyote contracts and anything that required center fire work. So then I became a cop in, let's see, I was 24 years old. I became a cop and I just, that was my determination. Well, I'm like, I can't screw this up. So in the academy... I I bought, when I was 21, I bought a Glock. Mm -hmm. Of course, a Glock's got kind of a squishy trigger on it. And by God, I couldn't hit anything with it, right? (laughs) I would always shoot low and left. I'm like, gosh, these these pistols always shoot low and left. What's the matter with these sights? (laughs) It's because I was shaking that trigger. So knowing that, when I got in the academy, I bought a 1911, right? Much shorter trigger stroke. And I shot it much better, right? So not realizing that I had done a mechanical fix to a mental problem. So during the academy, I started to gain some control of my shot and got some instruction, but the instruction was always front sight, front sight, front sight. The instructors would repeat that over and over and over again. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's the problem, (laughs) right? I don't think I'm aiming incorrectly. So during the academy, uh, (laughs) one of my buddies, he was, he's still a cop. I just retired, but he's still a cop, and he was not going to pass firearms so in the academy i sold him my pistol right (laughs) sold him my pistol so that we did a mechanical fix to his mental problem and i bought another 1911 that had an even better trigger in it (laughs) so so in the academy i ended up taking first in my class in firearms right did he pass that too he did he passed with like i don't know it was in the 70s it was like 71 and a gun right so (laughs) so he passed it and then uh, so but that's where i found my passion for instruction Oh, really, you know, I loved working people through drills and and helping them out. And, and I got just a little taste of that actually in the academy. They let me run some, run some courses for, (laughs) for my class. And then I was a cop for two years. And then I, uh, I was going to get laid off at an agency. So I went to another agency and there was a couple of stipulations. I'm like, I want to be a firearms instructor and I want to be able to, I want to be eligible to be on the SWAT team uh, for the county. And so I was granted those and I I became a firearms instructor two years into my police career and at that same time I got hired at the academy as an instructor. Hmm. Just a brand new instructor. So that put me through some of those paces and that's where I really started to figure out how am I going to get this new police officer to concentrate on a trigger press when somebody's trying to kill them. Right? And... That was a driving factor for me to really start to figure things out. But I was still in the archery world, not controlling my shot. And so here I am now, I'm on the SWAT team, SWAT sniper, right? They put me instantly on the sniper crew because I could shoot a target well, right? (laughs) But if they had seen me try to shoot a coyote or some big game (laughs) animal with a rifle, I guarantee you they wouldn't have put me on the sniper crew. So... There I am fudging my way through this thing, trying to figure this all out, and I started to gain control of things in the firearms world in a big way Mm -hmm. and started to figure out, oh, I need to talk myself through this trigger, not knowing any of the science of what I was doing. And then, and I know this story is getting long, but uh, so in bow hunting still, now I'm starting to gain control of my shot in tournaments in front of people, but in bow hunting, ah. I don't know how it's going to go, right. right? And that scared the hell out of me because I didn't know how it was going to go in the lethal force sniper world.
1: Mm-hmm. If you ever
0: had... Yeah. Needed. That's not a good feeling, right? Because right? you're thinking... I'm thinking back to all the coyotes that I've missed, right? Right? And how is it going to go when I got to put lethal force on somebody that's, that's holding a hostage or something like that? So that, ju- that drove me. That The cop world, the SWAT world drove my determination, but the sounding board was always bow hunting because you don't get in that many gunfights as a cop, but you hope to get in yeah. lots of stressful shooting environments in the bow hunting world right. or in the rifle hunting world. So that was always my sounding board. So I'd have some success, some failure, but I wouldn't blueprint it. right? So then uh, years progressed. I became the lead firearms instructor at the academy for the state full time. And that's where I really got to do the experimentation that I needed to do. That's what allowed me to do the paths of research to figure out neuro-linguistic programming, visual proprioception, open and closed loop control systems. Because I had some, some key people <clears throat> so I to start and develop this program of, of concentration and how do we actually perform in high stress shooting events. And I had this one gentleman that was fairly high up in the academy. And he told me one day, he says, what you're doing works, but it's not right. I'm like, okay, well, I want to know what's right. He says, well, to do that, you have to take my course. So I took his course, and that's where I started to, to get. I had all these shooting experiences, but I didn't have the science, right? Mm-hmm. What science am I working with? So that class actually illustrated to me the science that I was working with, and I was able to mesh that with the experiences. And that is how Shot IQ was born. Really starting to figure out the fail points of human beings in high stress shooting events. Hmm. And so then, you know, in the sniper world, that was, that became no question on how it was going to go. Right. And in the bow hunting world, that became no question on how that was going to go, but it took some real, digging deep turning points right like you had a turning point when you came to the clinic exactly you got to get to the point where i'm doing it this way no matter what because it's how it works right right? it's not what i teach at shot iq is not joel turner's opinion right i when i was growing up and i was searching for the the answer the (laughs) solutions i was always dealing with people's opinion and no fault to them but there's a lot of good shooters out there that don't know how they do what they do
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and that doesn't help anybody right right it doesn't help me or anybody else to to watch this professional archer and go man i wish i could do that and you ask them some questions and they don't know how they do what they do Mm -hmm. right they've got a specific way that works for them but it's not necessarily science-based so it doesn't work for you and that's i've completely tried to change that approach there's nothing that i tell people that works for them it's it's just that's not the way it works right so nothing works for them they have to work for it Mm -hmm. but i teach people what work needs to be done and then how to actually do the work Mm -hmm. in their high stress shooting event and it's just it's very powerful stuff yeah so
1: yeah
0: so there you go. That's my life history <laughs> of, of Joel Turner and Shot IQ. So. That's awesome. And you know. it's a
2: cool story. I mean, you know, I know I. We had talked a little bit about it before, but mm-hmm. but to for you to come from that point mm-hmm. to hitting a, a vital shot on an animal mm-hmm. target. Sure. You know, like 3D. Sure. At well over 100 yards with no sights at all <laughs> <Right>. with your <laughs> with your stick bow is just yeah. like, yeah, You're you come blowing. a long way. Yeah. And and I, granted, I know it's target as opposed to share hunting. Sure. But sure. then, I know you said there was like one year that actually you had mentioned before. There was like one year, from one year to the next, when you finally made your mind up. Right. That um,
0: you guess put everything into yeah. effect. Yeah, it, it was a matter of blueprinting it because I had. You know, I've told this story many times, I had one success in 2008 shooting at a hog in South Texas where I was actually so pissed off that I let the shot down and I said, I'm not doing this again. And making those, then in the next time I pulled my bow back on that same hog, making those decisions. I'm gonna shoot this shot perfectly or I'm not shooting it at all. And I've since changed that original decision to, I'm shooting the shot with control no matter what. But back then, That was just what came to me i'm shooting Mm -hmm. this shot perfectly or i'm not shooting it at all Mm -hmm. and it was that moment that it meant more to me to stay in the shot process than to kill the animal Mm -hmm. and but i never blueprinted it Mm -hmm. right so that was the problem Mm -hmm. 2009 i i killed some bulls and uh horrible right punched the trigger like a a wild man on those killed killed the elk shot him right in the middle but it was only because I was able to aim, at least get to the aim. And that was a huge step because before, and there's a lot of people out there, a lot of your listeners can't even put their pin on a target right now. Yeah. Right. Right. And they're going into the season knowing that they're not going to be able to put their pin on a critter. Yeah. Right. That is a scary it is. proposition. is. <clears throat> I've been there. That's what took me so many years of failure. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to do well with it. So, um,
2: and it kind of stinks because- you know, they take vacation time. They, oh, they, they do all the so preparation for know. camp and blah blah blah. I right. guess stay in shape and everything. Yeah, but what good does any of that do you if you're not yeah.
0: confident and you don't have the proper? And it's it's mindset. a it's a desperate feeling because you know you're not going to get your pin on the target, mm-hmm. and it's just it gets so much worse in high stress. Yeah. So back then it was just a matter of me not blueprinting how I did it. 2010 came along, I had another success. I I shot that shot exactly like I shot the, the one in 2008 on that bull, and it just, I never blueprint it. So 2011, 12, 13, 14, I'm killing critters, but I'm not totally controlling my shot. So, and people are like, well, what's the big deal, right? I mean, you're killing critters. But the big deal was my SWAT stuff, I'm like, Man, I did it again. I did not get through my shot. And then it just scared the hell out of me that I wasn't going to perform it when it came to a lethal force incident. So uh, so then after December fourteenth, two 2014, when that big blacktail buck came in and he stood underneath my stand. And then he turned around, walked back out, stood at eight yards. I drew that bow back, my recurve, and I shot him at eight yards right in the heart but I did not get through my shot mm. right? I was shooting a shooting a recurve at the time with a tab sear. No, not a tab. I was shooting a thumb ring. So I was shooting a grip sear, which is just a matter of fingernail on the edge of the riser. And then you just press that thing until it pops the mechanoreceptors. It's the whole, it's the whole system. But anyways, I didn't get through that. I got to my aim. And as soon as my aim was complete, I shot that arrow and I shot it in what we call the critical second, right? That one second in time after you believe the aim is complete. That's when most people fire the shot, be that with a rifle or with a bow or whatever. And if you do that, if you shoot within that one second, you are definitely going open loop on the trigger too fast, right? If you go open loop on the trigger, there will be pre ignition movements linked to your trigger motor program. You will flinch in some way, shape, or form. And your bullet or your arrow is not going where you think it is. So I shot that shot and I knew that I didn't get through my sear and I'm like, I just sat there in that tree stand and then it got dark and then it started raining i just sat there i'm like what was it i gotta go through the rolodex of shots and i was thinking i'm thinking i'm thinking and there was that one shot in 2008 on that hog that i remember saying before i drew my bow back i said i'm shooting this shot perfectly or i'm not shooting it at all and then as i drew my bow back i said i'm gonna do this right and then after i got my aim i said here i go Mm -hmm. And that got me present enough to remember to talk myself through whatever my trigger was, right? And it was exactly the same in 2010 on that bull. I shot that bull at 41 yards with my longbow. And if you have any pre-ignition movements at that distance with a longbow, you're not gonna hit what you think you're gonna Mm -hmm. hit. So those two shots were, they were identical but I never blueprinted them at the time. So I sat there in that tree stand like, what was it? And it was the decisions that I made and the specific timing of those decisions. And that's those are the times when autopilot tries to come in and snatch the shot away from us, right? Before we even draw the bow back, that's when most people have already handed the shot to autopilot because they're thinking about, where the critter needs to stop, which is a thought that needs to happen, mm-hmm. right? But they can't bring themselves out of it, mm-hmm. or they're thinking about, "Oh my God, it's a seven by seven, right? I'm going to be a hero." They they think about things that are in the future, so that it makes it impossible for them to follow their shot process. It's yeah. not even available to yeah. them, right? Until right. you open the door to the shot control house. So, and we can talk about that that analogy that we use now, uh, but. You have to at least make your shot process available to you. And that only comes from making decisions. Like when that bull finally turns broadside, say something, right? I'm shooting this shot with control no matter what. Or just no matter what. Say something to increase your presence. Mm -hmm. And then as you draw your bow back, that's when autopilot tries to spin out of control again, right? So as you draw, say something to yourself. I'm going to do this right. Stay in the process. Whatever you want to do, increase your presence by making decisions. Right. And then finally, once you get the aim, it's not time to shoot. It's time to decide. Right. Right. And it's that here I go. Why do we say here I go? Because that's the phrase that people use to jump off a cliff. That's the phrase that's commonly used for somebody to actually do a movement that causes their body impact. It requires a conscious override of the central nervous system. For you to actually work your trigger slow enough, you could stop it, requires a conscious override of the central nervous system, Mm -hmm. and that requires a conscious decision to do that. You'll never just find yourself overriding your central nervous system.
1: I think for me, like it really got ingrained in me after I took shortly after I took your class, and I'd be shot every day because I. It did take me a little while to get that down every Mm -hmm. single time Mm -hmm. um probably longer than some people i don't know why (laughs) but that's just me but anyway it was um i I was able to shoot a bear Mm -hmm. and just shortly after the class Mm -hmm. you know a month or whatever it was and uh and i in my head i was you know i did the whole mantra and i think killing that bear and when i shot him it's like oh my gosh that was so easy you know (laughs) yeah it was cool but i think that being, being, for me, because I don't do, do a lot of three D tournaments, mm-hmm. just my job and stuff. I mm-hmm. can't do them. So for me to be able to actually kill an animal using that that fast after mm-hmm. I took the class, it just it just was it ingrained in me at that point. I was like, yeah, this definitely works, and uh, right. yeah. So it was. I, I think that helped me out.
0: And people always ask me, how long does your program take? How long does your program take? I I tell them it takes you one shot. Right. Literally one shot, one controlled shot, and understanding the science of how you did it, right? What decisions did you make, right? Mm -hmm. The whole blueprint. What were you thinking after here I go? Right. You need to be thinking about your shot activation movement, whatever that is for you. Is it squeezing the release? Is it pulling? Is it rolling? Whatever it is. What are you thinking about after here I go? Because that's a ways down the shot. You don't get to here I go until after you've already aimed and you've addressed the trigger somehow, right? So what are you thinking after here I go? Second question. What was I saying after here I go? Which is basically your mantra, right? Right. So is it pull? Is it keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling? What you say is what will move. How you say it is how you move. Right. Neurolinguistic programming, right? So it's the route to concentration. So knowing exactly what verbiage you're going to use to direct and trap your concentration. Question number three, could I have stopped it? was i so keenly concentrated on my shot activation movement that i could have stopped it anywhere within it and if you can say yes that's a that's a big ask if you can say yes to that that means that you have enough determination to make a decision so that you were present so that you could concentrate right those fundamentals of Mm -hmm. shooting so if you can say yes i could have stopped that trigger anywhere within it that's a big deal, right? That's a really big deal because you were truly in a closed-loop control system. Right. And then finally, what decisions did you make to get yourself in the process for that one shot? How did you open the door to the shot control house? You know, how do you do that for you? How do you close the door and the, close the door on the aiming room? How do you, you know, get into the concentration room? It's just, uh, it's very interesting stuff. Yeah. So there's it's so mental. Like I mean,
2: I, I know the actual action. Is such um, a little part of the holding the bow and all that mm-hmm. stuff, but to actually go through the little mantras, um, it for a lot of people. I know me; um, I, I had such a hard time with uh, with my um,
0: target. Paint. Target, pack. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> that oh man, and and it's 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 such a. Such an easy thing because once you figure it out and your your mm-hmm. system, obviously, people just... Big thing is not only is applying it. I mean, mm-hmm. that I'm sure you have lots of people that take your course mm-hmm. and aren't getting the results like the online course, or whatever, like they'd like. Because they really don't truly... We talked a little bit about mm-hmm. this last night. You help them, you give them all the tools, you know. Mm-hmm. But yet, if they don't apply it, yeah. right then...
0: Yeah, and I tell them, off, nothing that I tell you is going to work for you, right? And there's no, it's the conscious defiance of human nature is what you're doing. Yeah. And you're consciously overriding your own central nervous system. That requires massive amounts of determination. Well, if you're not determined enough to do that, you will always be stuck out of shot control. Right. You'll never actually gain control of your shot and it's truly what we're all seeking. I mean, everybody wants to be able to be and and not be calm, but be effective, yeah. right? And know how the shot's going to go. So, uh I don't have too many people that are that are of that way. I mean, they most of them realize that this is not my opinion. This is not Joel Turner's opinion on mm-hmm. how to on how to shoot a bow or or a rifle or whatever. This is just how your mind works. Yeah. Science. Take it or leave it, right? Yeah. I'm not uh I'm not selling my opinion, so it's uh, it's very interesting stuff. But it's proven. uh, Yeah, I mean it's it's proven over and over and over again. It's not. I don't have people come to me and say, "Oh, turn that is such crap."
2: Yeah. Right. I'm (laughs) like, well,
0: I mean, it's not like I made this stuff up. And we
2: won't mention no names, but I mean, you've you've worked with some of the top archers. Oh yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. all
0: over. Yeah. And so. and they have the same problems that everybody else does, that, but they're yeah. very determined people, yeah. mm-hmm. right? You That's get high-level high level military operators. They're very determined people, and they're very smart. They, they learn things, right? And professional archers are the same way. Um, there's some that, that have experienced extreme success, but then it falls away, and then it, they regain it, right? When they become conscious again and start making decisions. And when you look at their path you'll see as soon as they get really good, they stop making decisions, Mm -hmm. right? And then they start to fall away. Mm -hmm. And then they get to a rock bottom where they get more determination because now they're not winning. Mm -hmm. So now their determination goes up. Well, now they start making decisions. I've got to change something, right? And then they start to come back up. And then because they don't know the science of what they did, Mm -hmm. they start to fall away again. That's where... You know, when you when you do the shot IQ program, there is no falling away. I mean, the only way that you would fall away from it is you stop making decisions. Mm-hmm. If you get to the point where you're like, oh, I got this, All right? I got this. But there is there is a certain amount of now let's let's talk about the shot control house real quick because it, it lends itself to so many things. The shot control house is just an analogy that we use, and I kind of got it through SWAT stuff because when you would go to a house if we did a a a hit on a house or something if you didn't know the layout of the house like you didn't have any intel about that house or anything like that when you when you blow the door off and you go through there it's smoky it's loud it's flashbangs, it's all kinds of stuff you go through that and you don't know what you're getting into you don't know if there's somebody standing behind the door with a rifle or what there may be so you're moving you're moving through this house and it's this instant evaluation of rooms and which way does the door open? How do we stack on this? And it's just, you're going through these houses. Well, then you get another SWAT call out and it's at the same house. Mm. And you've been through that house before, right? So you know that Tweaker Bob stays behind (laughs) the closet, right? In this one bedroom or whatever. So it's, you start going, so now they've replaced the door, but when you blow that new door off, it's the same inside, right? So we, you have a better idea of how to move. And when you train, you get the first rep through a house and then, you know, the floor plan, right? That makes sense. So your shot is the same way. So when you are all hooked up on your bow and you're about to take this shot, you believe the shot is imminent. Like maybe that buck turns broadside or, or you're at a big tournament and you're about to shoot this shot you're on the porch of the shot control house but the door is closed mm-hmm. right your shot process lives inside the house but your door is closed it's not even available to you at this point so how do we open the door of the shot control house you make decisions i'm shooting this shot with control no matter what the door now opens for you so this big giant front door swings open and You drawing your bow back is you crossing the threshold of that door. But the first room that you walk into is the aiming room, right? And it is a party in there for most people, right? (laughs) They get in that aiming room. There's all the disco balls and all kinds of stuff. And they're thinking about their aim. And they start talking to people in the aiming room. They're looking at the pictures on the wall. Maybe they even (laughs) sit on the couch, right? Your mind will try to keep you in the aiming room because if it can keep you in there, then it can let the subconscious have the rest of the house. And the subconscious will run through that house like Wreck-It Ralph and will punch the hell out of that trigger because it's trying to keep you safe, right? Your aiming room is your safe room. Safe space. Right? So you just don't linger in the aiming room. And people linger in that aiming room by bringing the pin up real slow. And then as soon as it gets close, it slows down and it stops. It locks. You just sat on the couch. Right? right? You're, now, you're now in there with all your friends, right? And... Uh, so don't linger in the aiming room if you know it's 20 yards or 30 yards or whatever it is if you know your sight picture get it done right and we always talk about that draw your bow back aim get it done watch to keep it Mm -hmm. so uh don't linger in that room just walk through it get it done but then you gotta get out of that room you gotta close the door so the mechanical signal that you are now close the door on the aiming room is you addressing the trigger Right, so now we address the trigger, that's us closing the door on the aiming room. Exactly. But man, John, it sounded so fun in there. Right. Right? (laughs) So you wanna go back in, your mind wants to go back into the aiming room, so you gotta lock that door. How do you lock the door in the aiming room? Decisions, Mm -hmm. right? So now we've closed the door on the aiming room by addressing the trigger. Then we make a decision, here I go. Right. Here I go, locks the door on the aiming room, and opens the door on the concentration room. But here's the problem, concentration room is on fire. <laughs> so this is where it gets into how much determination would it take for you to walk into a room that's on fire, knowing that you're gonna get burnt. Massive amounts of determination to do that, right? So for your mind to walk into this room, knowing there's an explosion that lives in there, you're gonna get burnt, right? So the determination's got to be deep enough that you can get yourself through that door of the concentration room. But here's the other problem. You can only walk fast enough that you could stop your step anywhere within it, closed loop, right? So you are walking yourself through this release movement all the time. You've got Oh my God, it's a seven by seven. When's this thing going to go off? I'm going to be a hero. So you've got all these (laughs) thoughts that are coming in and you're trying to move slow enough you could stop it through this room getting burnt the entire time Mm. knowing this explosion's coming. So that's what requires massive amounts of concentration to get yourself through that room. So how would you do that? If you literally had to walk through a room that's on fire slow enough you could stop your step. You would have to talk yourself through that. It's true. Right? And you would have to be the loudest one in the room. Because all these thoughts that are coming in, they're loud. Right, right. right. I mean, that bull elk stand in front of you, he is he's drawing your concentration, right? So you have to be able to bring it back. So that's why you got to be the loudest one in the room. Right. So your mantra is not, keep pulling, keep pulling. It's keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. you got to use the aggression in speech. Don't change the mm-hmm. speed of it. Right. Mm-hmm but change the aggression of it, right? Mm. So you're walking yourself through that room, and all of a sudden, bah, it breaks as a surprise right. that's you jumping out the back door of the house. So when you knock another arrow on, you're not in the house anymore, right? You're standing the on the front star. porch again. So you got to make those decisions. Now, where I was going with this is I want you to get to the point. I want shooters to get to the point where there is no front door. Right? So when you step up on the porch, you don't have to stand there and go, I'm shooting this shot with control no matter what. Mm. If it's a mystery to you, you need to make that decision to demystify your shot. Mm-hmm. But I want you to get to the point where you set an explosive charge on that door and you blow it to smithereens. So that when you walk up on the porch, you've got your, your arrow knocked and things are fairly automatic, you can just walk right in. You right. draw your bow back and you walk in the aiming room and there's nobody in there. That's where I need you to get to, right? Mm -hmm. There's no door, and there's nobody in your aiming room. So it's easier to walk through there. And it's very liberating for people that come to the class or take the online course because you learn the science of aiming, excuse me, and the fact that you don't have any control over it anyways. So put your pin on there, and you don't even put your finger on the trigger until after you have aimed right and that's pretty powerful that gets people at least to aim at the target first and see that you don't have any control over it anyways Mm -hmm. right so getting everybody kicked out of your aiming room there's no pictures on the wall there's no furniture to sit on just it's a blank room that you still have to walk through Mm -hmm. get it done Mm -hmm. right and then you get good at closing the door on the aiming room by addressing the trigger and starting to become very conscious about that. Right. And then you increase that presence tenfold more when you say, here I go. You get really good at locking that door. And you actually get good at going back in the aiming room if you need to, right? So by, what I mean by that is, let's say that this big bull's coming in, right? And you get your bow drawn back and he puts his head behind the tree and you're like, oh my God, that's perfect. Right? And you get your aim exactly where you want it. You wrap your finger on the trigger. Here I go. Pull. And the bull steps out of the hole. you got to stop the train. Right,
1: right? right. You
0: stop everything because now it's a new aim. So now you have to go back in the aiming room, mm-hmm. which is no big deal anymore. Yeah. There's nobody to talk to in there. Right, right? right, You just simply go back in the aiming room, fix the aim, and you get yourself back out with here I go. So you know how to go in and out of the aiming room. Same thing with wind. If you got big wind that's pushing you completely off the critter or whatever, you gotta make an ethical decision. Is there too much wind for me to make an ethical shot? But if it's only pushing you or bumping you a little bit, you're gonna have to go back. You're gonna have to go back and forth, right? You may have to go in that aiming room three or four times in one shot. So be it. Right. It becomes very easy to maneuver through the house. And that's where I want people to be, right? No front door because you shooting a controlled shot is no longer a question, right? There's no mystery to it. Yeah. You know exactly how you're going to do it and that you're going to do it every single time no matter what. So that's where I'm at. That's where a lot of shot IQ folks are at. That's where, certainly where Bodhi is at. I hope that's where you guys are. Yeah. There's no door on your shot control house. You simply walk right in. But don't ever let go of here I go. Yeah. Here I go is it's the giant reset button it's the giant presence button you can when you hit that after your aim and after you've addressed the trigger here i go let's do this let's get some whatever you say to yourself fill that critical second and then you will become intensely present so that you remember to talk yourself through that right because it
2: puts you in the moment into, into yeah,
0: that, that is for lack how, of better word. That is how you get yourself in the moment, yeah. right? You talk to a lot of professional athletes and they get themselves in the zone, but they can't tell you how they do it, right? Right, so it's making that conscious decision. Whatever decision you would need to make to get you to jump yourself off a cliff, yeah. right? Because <laughs> <Yeah. Right? laughs> you think about that, you got your little toesies hanging over the edge there. If you're thinking in the future, you will not move your body off the cliff. If you're thinking about how deep the water is, or you don't know if Bob made it when he just jumped off the cliff, (laughs) right? You don't know. Right. So it takes a conscious override and that requires that decision to do that. Mm -hmm. So,
1: yeah, it does that here, 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 here I go or whatever you say is that does, it puts you in that closed Mm -hmm. loop, I guess. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, that's when you really, for me, I mean, that, that is the saying that, that get you in that moment right there right and it's it just makes So the
0: shot that we've developed is very simple it's basically has four steps to it you draw back an aim right then you address the trigger Mm -hmm. be that a thumb button a hinge if it's a hinge you would then roll to the click or you address the index finger Mm -hmm. so you draw back an aim then you address the trigger then you make a decision then you talk yourself through the movement Yep four steps yep. of the shot right yeah. and it's very simple so when i have like if i'm guiding elk hunts or taking mm-hmm. somebody hunting uh and they come to me and it's funny because these guys spend so much money on these elk hunts and they come to me and they know they can't put their pin on the target mm-hmm. because that first thing i have them do as soon as they get in camp is i have them shoot and i'm like how long has it been since you can't put your pin on the target? I'm like oh i've been doing this for 25 years like, man, I've been there, yeah, right? You right. don't need to follow that path. So I get them to at least put their pin on the target. And then here I go, make that decision. And then if they do punch the trigger a little bit, I've only got a moment in time before we go hunting. So I get them at least to that, through that critical second. And right. it's, you know, I had four hunters come into camp uh, in Colorado this past year, and all four of them were one shot done. We killed four bulls in two days, basically. Oh wow. Yeah, but I ran those guys through the shooting process because most of them couldn't even put a pin on the target. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing. And that's like normal. Says,
2: yeah, how, how most people they spend all that money, they
0: yeah,
2: all the equipment and everything, but then yeah, none of that does you any good yeah. if
0: you can't. But it's not it's not their right. fault. It's just how we learn things, yeah. right? We learn by being cognitive at the start, right? You get that one perfect shot, you get one chance, and then you start to practice. Well, if you're punching the trigger, or especially if you're punching the trigger as soon as your pin gets on the target, you're literally practicing your own failure. And archery is going to be a rough road for you because the more you do it, the more efficient you get at it, Mm -hmm. right? And the more just the pin just barely gets on there and you punch the trigger. Then the pin doesn't even get on there and you're thinking, why is that pin off there? And then they jump and you punch the trigger and you still hit the target like well whatever you know (laughs) and then and then when you get that big old bull in front of you all your your whole rack of pins is underneath his chest and (laughs) it doesn't really matter which one you're going to use so
2: i do remember having my pin sided in on the edge of the circle (laughs) and i could hold it there forever Uh forever Mm -hmm. but there's no way i can move it in the middle at all and so that's where it was sided in yeah to hit the bullseye right yeah it's uh
0: It's a thing, <laughs> for
2: sure. Well, I think you've said it before. Everybody has target panic.
0: Yeah, you're born with it. You're born yeah. with an aversion to an explosion. Mm. It's just controlling it. Yeah, it's just how do you how how good are you with the conscious override? Mm-hmm. And you know there are there are people that are very determined in their personality, and those people pick it up quicker than those that are not as determined. Or maybe somebody that in their life hasn't had to make a bunch of life-altering decisions or whatever. Right. So, um, I mean, you can use your life experience to help your shooting, for sure. So, hmm. there you have it.
2: Interesting awesome. stuff. I yeah. Yeah. love it.
0: So, so, next
2: thing is, now that you're retired... Yeah. You <laughs> retired at the right
0: full age of... 45. 45. Yeah, I'm 46 now, so... <laughs> It just you know, and this has opened up so much. Yeah, now Yeah, it, it, it really <laughs> has, and and just really being able to travel all over the country and and do these clinics and see the, I see the same things over and over again. So that's why we've able been able to develop such an effective program, because mm-hmm. uh, you see the same things and you ask people the same questions. And right. They're like, Oh, I never thought of that. Right. So exactly. it's, uh, yeah. It's been a super, it's been a blessing to be able to retire from law enforcement, but law enforcement was the determination. Well, that got me to this place. Mm-hmm. It got me all the opportunities. And I, I thank the people that were involved for that, but it got me the opportunities to get in front of people and learn how the mind works. You yeah. Know? So,
2: and, and now that, I mean, you were able to travel to bodhi Bodie uh-huh. that's, awesome too yeah yeah. being
0: able to be with him and watch him shoot is pretty cool there's just it's funny because you i know his shot so well that i i'm watching him and the only advice i ever give bodie is keep it moving that's the only advice i ever give him because i know that if he
2: he knows he's he's learned so much that he's to that point where he's just he just keeps doing it over and over again is that what you mean
0: yeah but i mean keep it moving right what i mean what i mean by that is keep your release moving because I know that if he can feel his release moving, that his conscious mind is in that move. Gotcha. 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 And it's not in the aim. So he shot that 660 at the Lancaster Classic, which is the third one in history (laughs) in the qualification (laughs) round, perfect 660. (laughs) And on the very last shot, he let a shot down. And when you listen to the interview afterwards, he talks about that shot that he let down. Yeah. And he talks all about the aim. Yeah. And how the pin was bouncing from red to red. right. So if, I know just from his interview there, I was in my patrol car back home watching it on, uh. watching it on my phone. But uh, that interview, he talks about his aim, which means that he was in the aiming room, right? And that mm. shot got stale because he was in the aiming room. And he, uh, but he's smart enough to know that that shot was too stale. To stay in the x mm-hmm. and he needed to hit an x right for that 660. so he let that shot down and then when you hear him talk about the next shot he talks about just very briefly about the pin movement and then he talks about his release movement hmm. right so and then like i said the only advice i give him is keep it moving hmm. and he knows exactly what that means mm-hmm. so it's it's amazing to watch him shoot it's pretty cool stuff
2: oh man yeah as a dad i'm sure that <laughs> yeah, makes you it's so pretty proud cool.
0: right pretty cool stuff and
2: he just won a
0: pretty good shoot. Pretty yeah, big the shoot. Greater Oregon Safari. He took first in uh, in individual pro and in that, and then won teams as well with his buddy Ryan Black. So yeah, pretty. It's impressive. Especially uh, his age.
2: I mean, it still just blows me away that he just yeah. steps up and shoots with
0: yeah the big dogs. So I mean, it's speak. just it's it's not the age. It's just it's the mind, right? Yeah, and, totally. And if yeah. you and people got to give their kids a chance. Like I, I was uh, dealing with two youngsters here yesterday, I think seven-year-old uh, Samantha and 13-year-old Cody. And the the dad had, had purchased my online course and was teaching it to the kids as well. But the release that she was shooting, she couldn't hardly reach the trigger. Mm-hmm. So little Samantha, there's no way for her to wrap her finger around the trigger. So that was the first key to at least getting her the ability to work through that. But kids don't have enough life experience for shock control. Mm. That's just a reality. I mean, they haven't faced enough adversity yet Mm. and, and gained the perspective and the failure that it takes for somebody to really figure this out. So luckily... You know, I kind of figured this stuff out so we were able to, to put things together and all ages can learn it. But there are certain ages where you just have to do a mechanical fix to not necessarily a mental problem, but it's just the way their mind works and the way the adult mind works is the same in shooting. They have an aversion to an explosion. Like I watched Bodhi punch a trigger at three years old and I'm like, nah. This ain't happening. Go to your right? room. No, <laughs> you're not eating dinner today. So, but when I watched him punch that trigger, I'm like, okay, I know exactly what to do with this. Because what do you teach a three-year-old? They don't, they don't have any comprehension of the science and all the stuff. So, and they certainly don't have determination. And they don't have determination probably up until teenage years, at the earliest, right? Bodie was different just because I was able to work from work with him since mm-hmm. such a uh, young age, but tension-activated releases. Tension-activated releases for kids. Amazing creation in the archery world, right? Hmm. I don't necessarily like using them for adults because the release basically makes the decision for you. Mm -hmm. Safety in, draw the bow back, safety off, Mm -hmm. and then you pull and you set it to... A holding weight for that bow and you can get it i mean samantha was only shooting a 25 pound bow i was able to get that release down enough so where she could actually pull through it so instantly put her into attention activity release and with the knowledge of how fast you can actually pull because she's done the signature test so she knows the rate of movement that she needs so she instantly started shooting that like a boss really right and as most kids will so like, let's say that you have a kid that, uh, that has, I'm just really yanking on that thing, like really punch and trigger really bad. So you take that tension active release, and you tighten it down to where <laughs> they can yank all they want, but it ain't going <laughs> off, right? So, And I do the same thing with adults. Yeah. So if I have an adult that just won't make the decision to go closed loop, I'll put them in a tension active release, and I'll screw that sucker down to where it won't go off. And what you see is, safety on they draw their bow back safety off I'm like okay start pulling and you see they're very dainty with it and they'll just barely be pulling like it ain't never going off so you're gonna have to pull harder than that, right and then they start to pull now get to a certain point yeah, right where they give it that big old yank where they normally would punch the trigger all those pre-ignition movements you get to see them ah they they yank that sucker doesn't go off Push the safety back in and let it down. And the simple question is, what are you thinking about? And the answer is always, well, I was thinking about pulling, but then, right? There's always a, but then I started thinking, when's this thing going to go off? How much is it going to take? And that's the exact moment when the subconscious goes, oh, don't worry. I'll take care of that for you, right? And so the subconscious autopilot comes in, open loop, yanks the trigger, But we now, because they had this big yank, but it didn't go off. It's very jarring to the mind. And now you're open to some information, right? (laughs) So safety in, they, they let it down. And what were you thinking about? I was thinking about pulling, but then whatever it is. Okay. I need you to just think about pulling. That's all you need to think about. Okay. So don't change how the release is set safety in draw back, safety off. And they start pulling and then they're pulling and they're pulling it and they get to the point of the whole body is shaking and they're just you see that they're actually working but that big yank never comes in usually i've never had anybody have to shoot it 3 times usually 2 times and it's that is now the information they've got it right so you get to the point where they're just pulling like crazy and then it doesn't go off. Okay, push the safety and let it down. What were you thinking about? I was just thinking about pulling. Thank you, right? <laughs> Welcome to show IQ, right. right? So, so once, they, once you get that no jerk, then you start to loosen that release up to where now they really gotta pull into it and bah, it goes off. And it's not an accurate shot. That's not the point of it. Yeah. Right. So now they're pulling, it goes off and like, oh. That's what a surprise break is supposed to feel mm. like and then you can start to loosen that up and then you can make it as accurate as it can get mm. right but I don't like to keep adults in that I will keep a uh, a young person in that till they're mature enough to understand that you can do that with every release mm-hmm. right it's just simply concentration on the movement whatever that is for that particular release
2: and I, I remember uh, at your uh, clinic that you talked about you should be able to shoot any release. Any release. But I think so often people get um, hung up on
0: that's the only style re- release they could shoot. And yeah. They shoot that release because that's the only one they can control. Right? So tension activated releases will instantly change how you think and get you out of target panic. But it's not the most accurate system because it requires a lot of input. And, you know, I apologize to the archery manufacturers that make those things, but it's a great tool, but all I like to use it as a training tool, right? And I only use it for just those few shots. Mm-hmm. And then I instantly put adults into a different type of release so they get to apply the science. To a release that's more accurate, Mm -hmm. or one that they like, or one that they actually have, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But kids, I will keep them in that until they're mature enough to understand that you can do that with other releases. But you should be able to have fifty different releases in front of you. Pick it up, understand how the trigger works. I'm shooting this thing with control. Why wouldn't I? Yeah. Right. Why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. You know exactly how to do it. So if you need to test a release and how it feels, it doesn't do any good to punch it, (laughs) right? Right. Because you don't get to. You don't get to see how good is that sear or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So you really, once you understand the science, you get to start to pick equipment that really lends itself to this scientific shot. Mm. And uh but if if an adult just picks up a tension active release, they're gonna be just instantly shooting it with control, but then you put them into something else, they never got the reps in making the decisions. Mm. If they stay in that mm. tension activity release, you don't get reps in making the decisions. Gotcha. So therefore you're stuck yeah. with that yeah. until you learn the science of how the rest of it works. I mean if a tension activate release, let's get real. If a tension accurate release was the most accurate system, every professional archer would shoot one. True, true. It's just not the most accurate system because of the input that's required. But for control's sake, it's it's pretty awesome. Hmm. But being based on preload, they're they're a little bit difficult to hunt with because you know you're a little bit more jacked up when you yeah. when you're shooting at a critter, more adrenaline, more tension, right? So you may draw that thing back and it's based on your holding weight. Well, if you've pulled into that wall more, mm-hmm. as soon as you take the safety off, she's going. <laughs> so so you gotta be careful with preload and such with it, which hmm. can be done, right? But it's just not the most accurate system. But for gaining control, it's a pretty good tool. But I would only put an adult in that if they're having trouble making decisions. Yeah. So.
2: yeah. There's yeah. a lot of different... Yeah, I've, I've seen some throughout the years that they're basically trying to fudge, for lack of better words... Yeah. Um, when all it is is just the mental part. Yeah, it's Looked a mechanical
0: it. fix to a mental problem. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and the archery industry is built around yeah. target panic, mm-hmm. essentially. It's, it's like true. the one
2: trigger. I remember the one. If I, I remember the name. I'm not going to say it. But but you pulled the trigger and pulled it back. Uh-huh. And then when you let off, then it, um, it it was opposite. Yeah. Do you remember that oh, one yeah. by chance? Yeah, yeah. In or There's down. all kinds of them. There was yeah. ones
0: back in the 90s, uh, one made by Golden Key called the Answer. And it the had, it, did you ever remember that one? I don't, no. So it had a pin in it to where when you pull the trigger, if you pulled it slow, the pin would come up against this, basically a fork in the road. So if you pulled it slow, the pin would go one way and it would actually fire. If you pulled it fast, it would go the other way really? and get jammed into the, into the wall of the release. Oh. So you literally could not punch Boy, that's this. that's more release. of a mine oh yeah you couldn't <laughs> so, punch it so it was funny because back then they're like oh let's see if you can do it turn this is when I worked in a bow shop this is 1993 right worked in a bow shop I'm like let's see if you can do it turner I'm like oh I can do it right on a blank bale <laughs> on a blank bale I can do it all day long <laughs> right? right you put me on a target no that wasn't <laughs> that's happening that's
1: funny
2: <laughs>
0: so yeah
2: ha let's talk a little about some of your hunts
0: what do you okay. got going on this year so this year, uh, I drew a really good blacktail tag in Washington, which nice. is going to be cool because nice. my, my hunting partner is is a ghost. I mean, he he slips through timber like a ghost, literally. Yeah. He kills these monster blacktail bucks and hunts them in high country, big timber, and I just don't have the patience that he has. I mean, he will just one step stop for five minutes, one step <laughs> Look, man, I have trouble doing that, but I'm trying to learn yeah. how to still hunt like he does because mm-hmm. he kills some monster blacktails. Well, he and I both drew a really good blacktail tag. Oh. We drew, not even putting in together, we drew two of the eight tags. Oh, wow. So, so now wow. we get to hunt that same area that he kills these big bucks in, but we get to hunt it in the rut, like November 1st to the 20th. Oh, so wow. So that's going to be really fun. Wow. And uh, so that's, that's coming up, and we've got uh, deer and elk tags for... Montana as well. Nice. And I'll uh, be Elk in Washington and Montana. So trying to learn Montana a bit. Uh, I don't necessarily know exactly where I'm going, but I've been doing some scouting and stuff. So lots of e-scouting. You're not doing not guiding, no guiding? No, no, not this. Well, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit, but uh, it'll be early if I do some of that. So, yeah, I'm just trying to get a trying to get a spot where I can call Bodie in a bull. He really wants me to call him in a bull. Has, so. He's killed a bull. He's killed two it, bulls with okay, his two, bow, but yeah. they were both... Uh, uh one tree stand one blind oh okay. so he really wants me to call him one in which wow, would be man. fun <laughs> yeah. so. absolutely because
2: you've won the world i mean i know elk calling contests. as well yeah. as elk cutting is different yeah. but but you, you have...
0: I've years ago i won the world championships in the pro division twice 2008 yeah. and 2010 yeah. and uh so you can call yeah i've i've done some <laughs> calling i've got very simple ways of calling these bulls and of by by humanizing elk calling and and uh I didn't learn how to call elk by by watching elk. I mean, I learned the sounds from elk, but I literally learned how to call elk in by watching bar fights as a cop. (laughs) Really? Oh, absolutely. Right? You watch human beings, which are simply (laughs) mammals that have no inhibitions, and it is literally like the elk woods. That's interesting. So, uh, as an example... So there's a lot of there's a lot of people that will go in to the elk woods and they will do challenge bugles, which is pretty much any bugle with a chuckle right any bugle with a chuckle now this is a very this is a generalized statement there's there's people that are way smarter than me on elk vocalizations but I can do just about every vocalization that an elk can do on a mouth read so I had to figure out how do i how do I humanize this stuff because we don't speak elk but When you bugle with a chuckle, a chuckle is a bull-to-bull communication, Mm -hmm. right? So if I was to say to you, Daryl, we're going to the bar, okay? We go to the bar, and we're both standing at the front door. I say, okay, Daryl, you've got 30 seconds to go in the bar and get in a fight with another male. You can't touch anybody. You can only use your words. What is your strategy? What's your strategy for that? How would Are you, you do it? Asking yeah, me? I'm asking you. How would you do that? Oh, I'd walk up to somebody and somebody meaning a male. Yeah. Okay. And what would you say to this male? <laughs> I'm not gonna fight no girl. <laughs> okay. You're not gonna fight a girl, right? But I've only given you 30 seconds to do this. Yeah. So you're telling me that you're gonna go challenge a male, right? Yeah. That is very low odds. Because if you go into a bar, let's think real life here, you go into a bar and you challenge a male, it is totally dependent on his attitude Ah. whether he fights you or not. Right? Yes. Completely dependent on his attitude at that moment whether he fights you or not. I know where
2: you're going with this. But if
0: you go and you talk to his lady, he has no option but to remove you from the bar. Yes. Hmm. Right? And if you don't even talk to him, you give him the hand, right? You don't even <laughs> talk to him. You just continue to talk to his female. You will find yourself in a fight 100% of the time, no matter what country you're in, even if you don't speak the language. <laughs> right? Yeah, you're so right. So this is That's very high odds elk calling. So if you bugle with a chuckle, you're challenging the dude. Yeah. And you are dependent on his attitude. If you go in and you bugle with no chuckle, you are talking to the cows. Hmm. Therefore, he has no option but to remove you yeah. from the bar. Yeah. Right. So, and another thing, people like to cow call. I haven't made a mature cow sound in the last five years of elk hunting. Why would you? Right. Because I mean, cow calling is—it's an industry in itself. But when was the last time that a bunch of human females got together in their little clique and talked nicely about another female that wants to procreate with their man that they have chosen? <laughs> Doesn't happen, Yeah. right? So if you go and you get close to a herd and you do a mature cow sound, you are now the hussy in the bushes. Yeah. They are not yeah. going to let their bull go play with the hussy in the bushes. So, you've just completely killed your odds in that call-in with a mature cow sound. And it doesn't take more than one, right? You go in and you send out a mature cow mew. doesn't matter if you do the estrus scream or buzz or whatever you do. If you do a mature cow sound, you just killed it. Now, you will call in some bulls with a cow sound, right? There are some dudes that if a a woman was screaming in the street, they would come out of the bar and check it out, (laughs) right? right? But... If you, were to, if you were to place a baby exactly. in the street and there's a baby crying outside, the bar is now emptied into the street, right? Because everybody wants to help a baby. So if you do any female elk sounds, keep it on the calf spectrum hmm. because that's non-intrusive to the herd system, right? Everybody wants to call in the calf. So if you send out, like, you get in this canyon and you don't know if there's any elk in there, You don't necessarily want a bugle to be this new bull in the canyon. It's after daylight, so we're not doing location bugles. Send out a lost calf series down through that canyon. Every elk in that canyon is going to do something, Mm. right? They are at least going to move, break that branch. Mm -hmm. If it's a bull that would come into a cow call, they're certainly going to come into a calf call. Mm -hmm. They're pedophiles anyways, right? (laughs) They don't care how old that calf is. Yeah. If a bull bugles back to you with that bull calling cows bugle, that short, raspy bugle with no chuckles, he's trying to call you into mm-hmm. the herd, right? If he bugles from the same spot twice, he has cows. If he bugles and he has moved and bugles again, he doesn't have cows or is at least left his cows. So you're, now you're dealing with a satellite bull. Mm-hmm. So continue with the calf sounds to call that bull in. But if that bull is staying in that one spot, he's got cows. So now... It's a bar scene. You simply slip in quiet. You get in on his cows and you do the bull calling cows bugle. He now comes out to kill you, right? (laughs) It's, I mean, I've called in 48 herd bulls with that sound in the last seven years. It's not a coincidence, right? I don't bugle with chuckles and I don't make mature cow sounds. I make bull calling cows bugle when I get in tight on a herd with cows I do calf sounds to locate elk. I'll do, if I need to do some midday locating, I'll do tending bugles and glunking. Mm. And then before light, I'll do location bugles.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's pretty much it, right? I think
2: um, the glunking people don't realize how mm. effective that
0: is. Right, I mean, you think about what that sound is. It's a, it's a sound of a bull tending an estrous yeah. cow. Yeah. So if you get yourself in a bugling frenzy, Bulls are all over. Cows are mewing Everybody's bugling, carrying on. you If you get in there and you know you do your bull calling cows bugle, <laughs> that's what everybody's doing. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So now you got to become the cool kid in the locker room, right? Because as soon as you glunk, mm-hmm. as soon as you're in that frenzy and you glunk, you are now the cool kid in the locker room. You got one. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, because when you hear him glunking, they're right on. The they're cow. on them, right? Yeah. So now everybody's,
2: hey, he's one yeah and the whole frenzy will move to you i had a glunk. bull do that that was hung up and i was i was doing the bull cow mm-hmm. call um and he would bugle and everything but he didn't realize i was actually closer to his cows than he was mm. and when i glunked he he was raking a tree up there i oh, mean yeah. he ran his uh-huh. heart hard because now i'm right by the girls right. and and you're glunking yeah yeah so my
0: recurve yeah if nice I, 12 yards. Nice. So raking very effective is almost the exact same thing as a bull calling cow's bugle. It is, it is a, a display type of thing Mm -hmm. and they will come into it just like they do a bull calling cow's bugle. Um, I just like to make noise. So, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. My elk calling system is pretty simple. It's not my elk calling, it's just how they work. Right. I, I like to look at the science of of things it's just mammal biology yeah you look at a bar scene just step back one night and watch watch what happens right and you'll get two people that are in the parking lot you'll get a dude a dude and his wife this guy's yelling at the wife this guy will yell back first right so he bugles back to him with a challenge bugle so he'll bugle back with chuckles right (laughs) and then once he starts across the parking lot he doesn't stop till he gets to where that guy is or was So there's no hang up spot with the bull calling cows bugle. Yeah. They just he he only hung up because he was never allergy analogy, but yeah, it totally he,
2: makes he only cry.
0: he only hung up because he was raking a tree.
2: Yeah,
0: right. So if you send another bull calling cows bugle past him on that, he will then lose his mind. Yeah. I mean I've had people, drunk people, walk past me to get to the other guy, and I'm standing there in full uniform, right. <laughs> like what are you doing and they just walk like their eyes are rolled back in their head just like a big old bull right And they just walk right on by me (laughs) so i mean these bulls really truly get in a trance almost they're so pissed off oh man they just like that bull i shot in 19 i mean that thing walked into 10 yards and just started throwing stuff (laughs) off the ground with his antlers it was (laughs) just amazing so and that bull i mean we're standing in the open big cedar trees but we're standing there's no vegetation around us Seth and I are standing 10 feet apart and this bull just I thought he was going to walk right over Seth but he just he stopped at 10 yards and just starts pitching sticks and mud and stuff in the air so yeah it was pretty fun got a uh, real memorable
2: hunt you want to share with us
0: oh my gosh probably a lot of them yeah there's so many um I remember in uh, 2005 I had a good a good mule deer tag in Washington and I was shooting barebow compound bare bow with a release. <laughs> now because in 2005 I was such a trigger puncher, I bought a uh, what was called a cant punch release which was a an index finger trigger that had two triggers on it. It had a solid trigger that didn't move, and the other trigger was just up above it. So if you punched the trigger, you actually moved your finger away from the real trigger. <laughs> so you had to like lay your finger on there and then work your finger back this way to actually make it go. Cool. Mm. Wow! And uh, <laughs> so I had my a shooting bear bow, and I had this setup specifically made for my point on was 70 yards. So at 70 yards, I could put the point right exactly where I wanted, just like a sight pin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm so i remember i was it was snowing that was really crunchy snow and i was by myself and i i'd found this nice buck five by five muley and i would lost him i don't know where he went to and i i was creeping down this one ridge and i saw him down there bedded and i i remember ranging him and he was 80 yards i'm like okay i gotta get closer so i i'm inching for just crack crack i mean the, the <laughs> snow was just crazy right. crunchy frozen ice and so i got to 72 and I'm ranging, I'm like, oh, I need two more steps, right? So I do two more steps and, and uh, I get to 70 yards exactly and he's bedded facing away from me. And I remember drawing my bow back and that release made decisions for me, right? Because I knew it wouldn't work if I punched it. So I, I drew my bow back and I put my, it was downhill slightly and I, I hooked into that release and I remember just working through that trigger I shot that shot, and I hit that buck in the shoulder at 70 yards bedded. I watched the arrow fly down through. And I whap, it hit him, and he comes running at me, comes closer. I get another arrow on, I draw my bow back. He's now 40 yards broadside stopped, and I yard i yarded that release like i mean it's a camp punch but i managed to punch it but my my arrow did not go anywhere close to where i needed to and uh so i tracked that i missed that shot an easy shot just i mean it was like yeah 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 (laughs) off it went and, and uh didn't make any decisions on that when i i i watched that buck bed down and i i had to leave him overnight and uh he, I mean, he died shortly thereafter. But I, I wasn't gonna. St- it was getting really cold that night, and didn't want to take a chance. Yeah, so I remember, I remember going in there the next morning, just right at the crack of daylight, and he was, he was laying there. It was really cool to, nice. to see him there. But, man, what a shooting nightmare that was. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was one for the ages. But uh, yeah, there's lots of stories out there. <laughs> Elk. Elk. Well, the most memorable elk was that one I was just talking about. That oh. bull, I, I drew a special tag in Washington. And it's and, uh, funny how it all came together. We met these fellas that I actually grew up with. And uh, they were uh, Native Americans, so they they get to hunt that unit every other year. Oh. And so they had some pretty good intel, but they weren't willing to go where they needed to. this one bull. It's oh. funny because we were standing there talking to them. But I met them in the, in the road we had hiked in this place. They were able to drive in, so they drove in. And and I'm looking at this kid. Kid, I mean, he was just a little bit younger than me. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, man, you look familiar. He goes, you look familiar, too. I said, well, my name's Joel Turner. He goes, oh, I'm, you know, so-and-so. I'm like, oh, yeah, I grew up with you. Went to the same high school, and his dad was sitting in the passenger seat, and I shot bows with his dad for years because they were old finger shooters, right? Yeah. And uh, so... There's a guy that's sitting in the back and he's not saying anything, right? And so we, you know, we're BSing and stuff. And and as we're sitting there talking, I can hear this bull bugling and he's way down by the river. And it is a nasty nightmare to get down there. I mean, I don't even really know at this point how to get down there. And this old boy's just sitting in the back. He's not saying nothing. Well, then everybody gets out of the trucks and we're sitting there, you know, talking and in the middle of the road. And, and, this bull bugles again. And he goes, you hear that bull down there? I said, yeah. He goes, that's what we call the growler. <laughs> he goes, we've been listening to that bull in that hole for four years. He really? goes, we ain't going down there. I said, well, we'll go down there. So me and my hunting partner, we figured out how to get in there. We actually had to cross the river. So we he told us about this old horse trail that went along the river. So we went, we went and found the horse trail and we go across there and we crossed the river. And it was just like elk heaven on the other really? side of the river because nobody no goes wants back to go. in there. So we start working up through this just nasty blowdown. It was nasty canyon, and we found an old road system in there that we could see on the onyx. But it was an old; it was all dug out. So we go up this old road system, and I couldn't get him to bugle, and I was calf calling trying to locate him, and I finally got his buddy to bugle right because there was always two bulls that would always bugle back and forth all night long down there we listened to him for a couple nights and and uh, so his, as soon as his buddy bugled the growler bugled oh i'm like okay so we had to climb up this clear cut through this leaf strip of nasty timber and we got up on the road system kind of close to where he was and we start working down the road and i'm calf calling And now I can hear his cows are just losing their mind. And he's losing his mind. He's doing sounds that I've never heard come out of an elk. I mean, it sounded like a bear growling. It was crazy what this bull was doing. Hmm. And so I shut off all my sounds because now he's basically locating himself. And there was a big horseshoe clear cut. And in the middle of the horseshoe was this most incredible cedar patch. Big cedars. Very little vegetation on the ground. It was like bare dirt because it was they've been living in there in the cedar patch. Mm -hmm. So Seth and I pop up into the cedar patch and we're literally giggling to ourselves because we're walking on bare dirt toward these elk that can't see us. We've got the wind right. And so we get up toward the head of the horseshoe and it's always the same sequence. I get ready, Seth gets ready and I look at him and I always go, you ready? Yep, I'm ready. And he knows I'm going to do the, the bull calling cow's bugle. So mm-hmm. we can the elk are about 50, 60 yards, but we can't see him there in the jackfirs, all kinds of stuff. And so I give him the bull calling cow's bugle, and just the place just erupts. There's cows going all over the place, and, and I'm watching all this chaos, and I'm seeing trees moving. And I look over at Seth, and Seth draws his bow back. And I'm, think, I'm having this internal dialogue to myself because <laughs> two days earlier, he had missed a big six-by-eight bull that I'd called in for him because he drew his bow early, oh. and he was having to hold it forever. Just the way this bull acted, he was holding it forever and shot an arrow right over the bull's back. So I'm looking at him. He draws his bow back. I'm like, we don't even see this thing yet, man. I'm like, why are you drawing your bow back already? You're going to do this again, right? you thinking to right. yourself. But, but then I'm thinking... Maybe he sees something I don't see because he's about 10, 15 feet to my right. And just as I regain consciousness and look forward, that monster bull comes around this root wad at 30 yards. Mm. And all I see is the front brow tines. And I'm just like, oh, my God, that's a monster, right? And I'm hiding behind the limb of my recurve. And this bull is literally walking right at us. And I know Seth's at full draw. And I've called Seth in quite a few bulls, right? And he was gracious enough to let me shoot this one. But (laughs) I know he's at full draw, and I'm not at full draw yet. And it's walking right at us, and I'm literally talking to Seth out loud. I go, just shoot him. Shoot him if you got a shot, right? And this bull is walking towards us, and it is literally, eyes rolled back in his head, trance. And that bull stops 10 yards from me probably 12 yards from Seth and just sticks his antlers in the ground and just starts throwing mud and sticks and stuff all over the place. Mm. I mean, he had to see us there. We're just stand, we're standing. And so the bull is facing me and then he would flop his body sideways, broadside, and he's throwing stuff. And I'm i kind of hesitant to get to full draw because I think he's gonna see me. And then he'd flop his body towards, you know, facing me and then broadside and facing me. And just like, he's hopping all over the place and just throwing stuff everywhere, and I get to half draw, and he stops, and he looks at me, and I'm stuck at half draw with my 50-pound recurve. I'm like, oh my God, I can't hold this very long, and then he goes back to back to the ground, throws up, so I let down, and in all my seminars, all my elk calling seminars, I always talk about when they're rubbing trees or, or got their you know, antlers in the ground throwing yeah. stuff, their eyes are closed, yeah. right? Okay. So I'm like, hey, stupid, practice what you preach, <laughs> yeah. right? So I look at his face. I'm like, yep, he's got his eyes closed. So I draw my bow back. And as soon as I draw my bow back, he turns broadside, oh. right? He turns broadside and I'm looking down the shaft of my arrow and it's going in the middle, right? I mean, it's. Lo- I'm looking down the shaft of the arrow and then I see there's a stick that he has rooted up because mm-hmm. there was nothing there before. He has rooted this stick up, and it is now exactly in the outline of the crease of his shoulder. And I'm like, oh, my God, don't screw this up. Don't hit that stick, right? So I, I lean back a little bit at full draw, which put the profile of the stick in his shoulder, right? So now it opened up behind the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And every fiber of my being is just saying, just shoot it. Just shoot it. Just let it go right? Just let it go. I'm like, all the way back to 2008 again, right? I'm like, like, just let it go, you know? And I'm like, I remember saying, I mean, I'm looking down the shaft that arrow, I remember saying, no, I ain't doing that. And then I, here I go. And then I start pressing on my grips here and that thing pops and I shoot that arrow and it just disappears. Right through him in the exact X, right? As nice. soon as I shot him, he whirls. Seth shoots him right? oh, around, yeah. <laughs> and Seth shoots him in the shoulder, and he whirls out of there. I look at Seth, I'm like, we just killed that big effort, right? And he's getting another arrow out. I'm like, what you doing? No need. <laughs> you know? right. I'm, like, I'm like, what you doing? And I'm like, oh, maybe he's not dead yet. <laughs> I look, <laughs> the bull's standing there
2: 30 yards away, broadside. Really? <laughs> And I'm like... In such oh, a trance, he didn't yeah, even... I'm like,
0: maybe I should shoot him again. <laughs> so that's our thing. I mean, we shoot him till they stop yeah, women, right? right. Yeah. You know how tough elk are. So I get another arrow out. I draw my bow back, and he's standing with his vitals behind a cedar tree. And... Seth Seth's arrow comes in from the side and hits him in the back strap just as I let go, and my arrow center punched that cedar tree. Oh, out. Shit. <laughs> I shot a good arrow, but it went right in the middle of the cedar tree where that bull went 60 yards and fell over dead. Oh, nice. And then it was a four and a half mile pack out. Yeah. What an epic pack out that was! Thank God Seth is a mule. That guy can pack some but meat But you up had with. your pack system thing. I so. didn't have it. You didn't? Uh, no. Pack out bags, folks. Yeah. Pack out bags are amazing, amazing invention. I don't put meat in a backpack anymore. So
2: yeah. I'll show you tell you about that one Oh Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Made right here in Idaho. Are they?
2: Yeah. 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 So <laughs> right. right on, Will. Yeah. That's awesome. That's the life history of me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, thanks for having coming.
2: me. Yeah, yeah. And driving the extra sure. time and sure. I know I when we first talked about even doing the podcast, I says we gotta get Joel on here. Yeah. And if you remember I contacted yeah, yeah. you and, yeah. and I'm thinking he's never gonna be by her. And then you said, Oh, I got something going on in July uh-huh. I was thinking, All right, if we gotta wait till then.
0: But, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well hopefully it was worth the wait. Very much. 100% <laughs> worth the wait
2: and yeah. perfect timing. I mean we still got plenty of time till yeah. season, so people need to Yeah. Get a hold of your course yep. or whatever. Go to yep. one of your deals. Yeah,
0: shotiq.com. The online course is on there. It's got the new rifle courses coming out next yeah. week, and there's a precision pistol course that has all the combat pistol and precision pistol in it. Which, and yeah, then,
2: I told you last night. I yeah,
0: get and then it. of course yeah. the archery course, and it doesn't, it doesn't take long. It takes you know a couple hours to watch the course, and then it takes however it takes long it takes you to make a decision. To fly. Right, it's. It's not a long process. You can change your life in one shot. Literally. Right.
2: So. Yeah, and the new one you got is called what? The new course you oh, got. Oh, precision coming? long
0: gun. Precision long yeah. gun. And yeah. And it's not a preci- it's not a long range course. It yeah. is how to control your trigger with any rifle system, any position, right? Then once you can apply that science to that trigger press, then you can go ahead and do your long distance, whatever mm-hmm. you know, whatever you're gonna do. But uh, really, it's it's pretty fun because I got to shoot some old weapon systems in there, and just applying the science to, you know, how do you apply the science to an old 30-40 Craig bolt action rifle? Right. Now, if that's what you got, <laughs> that's what you got. Right. Yeah. An old 270 Savage, or a, you know, I shoot quite a bit with my 308 Tico in there as well. So, it's uh, yeah, it's just a lot of fun, and it really shows you how to actually apply the science of control process shooting to a rifle. Hmm. Yeah.
2: Awesome! And yeah. Thank you for. I mean, like the clinic. Like I said, I know John and I both got a yep. ton out of it, and highly oh, recommend it yeah. to anybody. I appreciate it. And, and yeah, no matter how long you've been shooting, you can always yeah. as long okay. as you got an open mind and and like yeah. like we've said, it, it
0: definitely dispels some rumors that are yeah. out there that have been around for
2: decades. Right. right? Yeah,
0: for yeah.
1: sure. No kidding.
2: Yep. Yeah. Cool. Thanks very much, Joel. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, John. Yeah, appreciate it. It. I appreciate it, you making the trip too. Yeah. That was awesome.
1: That's, yeah. There's a you know an effort for you to get
2: here so <laughs> oh, that's <all> right <laughs> we good really steak. it's just driving
0: it. oh the steak was good buddy yeah <laughs>
2: we did some uh well worth oak's, it. oak smoked steaks last night oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it awesome well worth it good yeah. cool thanks everyone for your support appreciate it and we'll see you next time yes thank you
0: cool